Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. For those of you who think that you are at the 8 o'clock service, I welcome you to the 9.30 service. Be nice to those who come to the 9.30 service while you're on your way out. Well, exactly one month ago uh, today, Associate uh, Supreme Court Justice Anthony Scalia died in his sleep after a day of hunting and dining with friends at a Texas ranch, and uh, following Saturday, right back here in Washington, uh, the largest uh, Roman Catholic church in North America was filled to capacity for his funeral, which was uh, covered by the press, broadcast around the world, and attended by a very long list of uh, powerful and notable people who joined 100 priests bishops and archbishops in remembering a lawyer, a law professor, an author, a judge, an assistant attorney general, and Supreme Court Justice of the United States of America, who also happened to be a church-going husband and father of nine children, one of whom is Father Paul Scalia, who, uh, with the whole nation looking on, actually conducted his own father's funeral and had the daunting task of uh, preparing a a homily not only for a man who was his dad, but was also a a controversial figure who has gone down on the legal history of our nation, regardless of how you feel about his uh, rulings and positions. In fact, uh, the political wrangling that was already underway before that homily was ever prepared uh, just further illustrates uh, what an important man in office uh, we are talking about. And so when that moment came in the great basilica, finally, Father Scalia ascended the steps into the pulpit, swallowed hard, I imagine, and he began his homily with these words. We are here today because of one man, a man known uh, to many of us personally and known by reputation to many others, a man who was loved by many and scorned by others a man who was known for great controversy and also great compassion. That man, of course, is Jesus of Nazareth. It is him we proclaim and who sets the course for our thoughts and our prayers today. We are here today because of him. In a stroke of homiletical genius... Father Scalia takes the congregation down a road that they thought they were on, only to arrive at a destination very few were expecting, when in the utterance of the name of Jesus, instead of the name of his father, he immediately shifted the whole focus from his father's credentials and accomplishments and even his controversies and squarely onto his father's Savior and ours. I remember watching it on TV and thinking to myself, oh, that was good. (laughs) After which, the pastor and the son used his words to remind his own grieving family and a long list of very powerful and prominent people to look at their past and also at the future from the perspective of faith and to press on from their own losses, their own controversies, and even their own accomplishments in the amazing grace of the Spirit of the living God. And uh, so today, we have before us a message 
uh, that went and was prepared by none other than St. Paul himself uh, sometime around the year 61 that he sent to uh, the church that he founded in the ancient city of Philippi, which was also a very prominent place of significant uh, political power and was actually named after King Philip II, who was the father of Alexander the Great. The natural resource at Philippi, by the way, was gold of all things. And its residents included some very prominent and powerful people, and in particular, some high-ranking retired Roman military officials who had been given property in Philippi in order to go and live there and provide a strong, powerful military presence in that growing community. And even though uh, Paul's letter to the church at Philippi was primarily intended to thank them for their support of his ministry through their prayers and also their offerings, Paul uses his own personal story to encourage the women and men, the people of that church, to let go of the past and to press on to the future that God had for them. Because even though uh, the Philippian church was really a great church, you might say it was the pride and joy of all the churches that Paul founded, arguably, nevertheless, there were people in that church who were stuck in the past and could not go forward. Some of whom were stuck on their rank and their credentials and their conquests and their victories, because that's what identified them. That's what uh, gave them their sense of purpose and significance in life. But as the saying goes, I mean, you, you can't take that stuff with you. Others were stuck in the past because of the traditions of their religion that they were holding on to and that they refused to part with. They were known as legalists or Judaizers, because they were Jewish Christians who had come to know Jesus as their Messiah through their Judaism, and they were then insisting that non-Jewish or Gentile Christians also obey the laws of, of Judaism in order to become authentic, real-deal Christians. And so Paul knew that for this to happen would have meant trouble in the Philippian church, as it was in some of his other churches, and uh, that if the Gentiles were pressured into obeying uh, laws that no longer applied or or living in a past that they were never part of or or perhaps uh, performing customs and rituals that were not necessary for salvation and to be real deal authentic Christians that that would have resulted in great division in the church where it turns out that God himself was more open to new people than the church people themselves sometimes were. Good thing we've solved that problem in the last 2,000 years. And, And then of course some people were also stuck in the past because they were stuck in their shame and their guilt and their sin and in things that weren't very flattering about their lives and and were preventing them from having an intimate relationship with the living God. And so to all these people, to those who were stuck on their achievements, who were stuck on their traditions, who were, were stuck on their sins, Paul sends a message that comes right out of the story of his life. And it begins with his recounting of his own spiritual pedigree and his credentials and in which he says, you know, you, you want to hear about credentials? You know, I've got the best set that you can ever imagine. I was circumcised on the eighth day, which is to say that I embodied God's covenant relationship with his people. I was a Hebrew born of Hebrews 
In other words, I don't have any of this Gentile blood running through my veins. I was a a member of the tribe of Benjamin, which was uh, one of the so-called faithful tribes, and a status symbol because its territory just happened to include the city of Jerusalem. I was even a Pharisee meaning an officer in the religious elite. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As to the law, I was blameless. Nobody was better than me. And then having led that congregation down a road they thought they were on, he takes them to a destination that may have been surprising to some when he says to them, and I regard all of that stuff as garbage compared to the surpassing joy of knowing Jesus Christ who made me his own and having a relationship with the living God through him. I was once a persecutor of the church, now I'm its leader. I was once completely wrapped up in law, and now I'm free because Jesus Christ can completely transform a human life in time and for all eternity. So hey, Judaizers... I'm telling you, I lost my pedigree. And you can lose your legalism, too, because Jesus really is enough, and there are no second-class citizens in the family of God. And hey, officers, you can lose your attachment to your credentials and and to the victories that, that you have won here on earth because your identity now is in your baptism. It is in the Son of God who made you his own by grace through faith so that you can claim your victory in him and go forward in promise and in hope. And hey, friends, if you're stuck in your past, in your shame or your guilt, it's possible to toss that out as well because Christ already has. Because forgiveness means literally to send it away so that it will be gone forever so that you can press on and answer that question of how you can go forward in your life by the sufficiency of his goodness. Uh, Some of you here know that uh, just a few weeks ago, uh, my mother moved into an assisted living facility out of the home uh, that I grew up in and uh, lived in since I was two Last week, I went to uh, visit her, and after I did, I went back to that house to gather up some of the things that she has left behind and now counts as loss, some of which my brother and I will also leave behind and count as loss because there's a lot of stuff there, and uh, you can't take all of it with you. But my very spiritually put-together mother, who doesn't have a lot of credentials, whose primary vocation was as a homemaker, who knows that most of her mission is now behind her and not in front of her, understands and always understood that her life is in Christ. And she gets that. So that I can get it. So that you can get it. As I've noted before, there there was a day when I was talking to her about all of this, and she said, hey, Mark, I'm not depressed. I'm just looking forward. And so uh, among the things that I did bring back to Maryland with me uh, from that house 
uh, were the Bibles that she received from her godparents on the day of her confirmation in 1936 and pictures of a family that I know will not be separated by time or by death because of the one who forgives our sins, transforms our lives for all eternity, gets us unstuck from whatever it is that holds us back so that we can press on to that day of great victory in the goodness of God. I guess it was about a month or so ago, I was talking to a friend and colleague of mine, fellow pastor who serves a congregation here in the Washington area, and I said to him, you know, hey, how's it going? And uh, he said to me, well, you know, it's, it's kind of hard down here, you know, serving people who have a lot of titles in front of their names and a lot of letters after them, and they're, you know, they're just, you know, they do important things, but they're just so impressed with themselves. And, you know, it's, it's a spiritual issue. It's hard to serve them. It's hard to go, to go forward. And and then he said to me, well, you know, Mark, you know, you know how that is. And you serve a church in the area. And I didn't want to make the guy feel bad. But I said to him, you know, I don't know how that is. And I don't serve a church like that. Not because there aren't people with titles who have great responsibilities and credentials. But because I just don't see that defining them. What I see are people who are losing all kinds of things for the surpassing joy of knowing the Lord and making Him known and treating each other and those who come like family. Or, depending on your family, maybe even better. You know, in a community where we are all forgiven, where we are all one in Christ, and where in him it's possible to look at the past and at the future and at the controversies and at the accomplishments and even at death itself in the great context of our faith and our intimate relationship with the living God. And so uh, I hope you'll think about Paul's message to the uh, church at Philippi today and think about it this week as you take out some trash and think about all of the things that you can count as loss in your life because what you have gained in the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ one who is known personally by many of us and known by reputation to many more. One who is loved by so many of us and scorned by others. One who is a man of great controversy and of great compassion. It is him that we proclaim and we are here today because of him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.